Well, what is a joy to be together with you this morning on Sunday morning. Um, I'm thankful for this time. I'm also thankful for what's been happening each Saturday. For those of you that aren't aware, we're expanding a new educational wing in the building next door. And I love working together uh, with other people in the church. And so each Saturday morning, there's been a group of people coming out. If you are, if you are now down to the place of sheetrock, mud, and painting. But uh, it's just awesome to work together with young, old alike. And we had uh, Lila bring us an incredible feast of a lunch yesterday. It was just a great time together. So working together builds bonds of friendship, and uh, we see the Lord work through those things. Come out this Saturday, 8 o'clock, right across the way there. This morning, we're in Daniel chapter 9. Um, we did Daniel chapter 6 last week. 7 and 8, I did some weeks ago. So if you missed those, you can go to the podcast or to the, some of the resources online and re-listen to those sermons. They're out of order in this service because they were in order chronologically. So the book of Daniel is not presented chronologically. It's presented with the historical narratives and then a series of prophetic visions. And so uh, I decided to present those in chronological order because seven and eight are visions that are seen by Daniel under the reign of Belshazzar. So this morning we are in Daniel chapter nine and we encounter the great prophet Daniel, the beloved of God, studying the scriptures, studying the Old Testament scriptures, and then believing what he reads. And based on believing what he reads, he has a passion to pray and ask God to accomplish what he sees in the scriptures. And this is a joyful thing. So we're going to read this morning Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they com have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us, his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. 
He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the God... The Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, a righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So we have before us today a prayer of Daniel, but it is set in the first year of Darius by descent Amede. It's important this morning, and we're going to see the incredible importance of it here at the end of the sermon today, that we do a little history review. There's been a lot of history here in Daniel, and some of you may say, Pastor Vic, why do you keep talking about history? I don't really care about history. I'd rather just go to the devotional part of this and hear what this means to me, and I understand that, and we're going to get there. But there are some of you that are very interested in these details, and there are some of you that are going to be asked by friends or family members, these things don't seem to line up in this book, so what's going on here? And you need to have an answer for those people, a thoughtful answer, because I think it is extremely important, uh, the position that we hold on history and science in the Bible. And my understanding of history and science in the Bible is that there is no final conflict between the realities of history and the realities of science and what we find in the Bible. We must understand that there are things expressed in the Bible that were written a long time ago, and they were written the way they were written during the period of time that they were written in. If we go back and study any other ancient documents, they're not written like the documents of today. This is the word of the Lord, and it does express the truth, and we need to look at how it is that we reconcile what we find in Scripture with what we find in history. And one of those struggles has to do with this character of Darius the Mede. Because when we look at the history of Persia, we don't find a king named Darius the Mede. And so what is going on here? My understanding of this, the best explanation that I see to this, 
is that the two names that are spoken of synonymously in Scripture, because as we go back and forth between Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, we see Cyrus the Great and Darius the Mede spoken of in the same settings and as if they were the same person. And when we look at Cyrus the Great, the history that we have of him, reigning from 559 to 530 B.C. as the king of Persia, we know that he had a father that was Persian and a mother that was Median. And so he was the initial great reconciler of this empire and the first great ruler of it. And so the understanding that is given of this situation here is that you have a person that is referred to in two different ways by two different names because of two different heritages of people. And we've seen this with people. Uh, it's, it's interesting as you go through different languages and through different cultures, the same name in one culture can be given a different name in another culture and a different name in another culture. And so it's my understanding that what is happening here is that we have the same person being referred to by two different names. There are other explanations as well. Whatever those explanations may be, they've been lost to the sands of time. But I understand these to be the same person. And so we have this flow of Persian kings. We have Cyrus the Great, also known as Darius the Mede. We have then our tax Artaxerxes, we have him expressed in Ezra and Nehemiah, and then the first Darius the first, because Darius was a very common name in Persia. There's Darius the first, Darius the second, Darius the third, but Darius the first reigned uh, when the temple was completed in 516 B.C. And so Daniel is here expressing what is happening in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the same time in which Cyrus the Great is in his first year of reigning over uh, the people in Babylon. And so Daniel is reading the books. What books is he reading? We're not sure, but what it is is that he's reading a written record of the prophecies of Jeremiah. This then comes into Scripture, is recognized as Scripture and Scripture that we have today. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah. Many people don't dive into these thick Old Testament prophets, but I encourage you to do so. Yes, there's some, some long chapters of woe to this person and woe to that person, but work through those to get to some of the most beautiful and powerful passages in all the scripture. Because Jeremiah was the last great prophet speaking to the people as the nation was on its last leg of decline and rebellion, telling them that Babylon was going to come and was going to overtake the nation as a judgment upon the Lord, by the Lord. But he is reminded by reading from the prophet Jeremiah that there was going to be a 70-year span of time from the fall of Jerusalem to the renewing of Jerusalem, to the Lord bringing his people out of discipline, out of exile, and back to the promised land. And so we should remember that Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. When Daniel was dragged off into exile as a young man, Jeremiah was the prophet in Jerusalem at that time, declaring woe to the people. And the king and the rulers and the people at large scoffed at what Jeremiah said. They hated him. But Daniel believed him then, and Daniel believes him now. And so let us read a little bit from Jeremiah, because what we're going to see in Jeremiah chapter 25 and in Jeremiah chapter 29 are these prophecies that Daniel is reading at his point in exile. So Daniel chapter 25, verses 11 through 12. Actually, I'm a little bit more than that. Jeremiah 25, 8 
through 14. Jeremiah says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations, and I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, Everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations, for many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to the deeds of their work of their hands. And so a prophecy from Jeremiah that Daniel is reading. At the time it was first given, nobody believed that Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon were going to come in and take these things over. And now Daniel has actually lived through it happening and the rising and falling of Babylon to where now another empire has taken over Babylon, also fulfilling the word of the Lord in this prophecy. And so if we flip over just a couple of pages to Jeremiah chapter 29, 10 through 14, we have more about this. What we had in Jeremiah 25 is judgment by Babylon coming upon the people of Israel and then also an expression of the judgment of Babylon by other countries by the will of the Lord. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 10 through 14 we have more about this. It's one of the verses that is so quoted during our day and age and I would venture to guess that 99 out of 100 people could not give you the context of this verse. And so we're going to see this morning the context of it which is so important. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's a beautiful promise. Come and call upon me. I have plans for you of mercy and restoration. But it is so important to see the context of these things. Daniel is 70, almost 70 years in exile at this point in time. And God is saying, I will fulfill my promise and I will bring you back because of the plans that I have for you. I have plans for you of hope, plans of mercy. But he says here, call upon me, pray to me, call and ask for me to do these things and I will do these things. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so 
what happens with Daniel as he's reading through these passages is that he is moved to pray. Most of this chapter is a recorded prayer, which is Daniel's right response to what he finds in the scripture. When God says, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm calling for you to pray and ask me for it, he does it. And he gets down on his knees. And it's absolutely important for us to see the timing of this situation because we're given these years of this king, years of this king, and then we have history and we can line up the years. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, was the arrival of Nebuchadnezzar into Jerusalem in the first siege of Jerusalem, which we know from history was 605 B.C. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, we have the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede or Cyrus the Great, which is 539 B.C., which when you put those two together, we have approximately 66 years of captivity that Daniel has been in. And so as he reads this, 70 is really close to 66. And Daniel is saying, God, like, please, this has got to be close to being around the corner. It's how so many of us feel when we pray about the second coming of Christ and we see certain things and we say, God, please, like, how long can this go on? May you come again. And Daniel, in the same spirit, is praying this. But in his life, he's in his 80s. It's awesome to see his great passion to see the word of the Lord fulfilled in the later years of his life. There have been two generations in exile. 66 years is not a short period of time. There are many, many people that were born in Babylon, born into exile, and are now 65 years old and know nothing about Jerusalem. They never saw the temple. They never knew anything about the kings. All they know is Babylon, and they're 65 years old. That's how serious the situation has gotten. And the idea that a nation would come back from that and be restored is unthinkable. We've seen Babylon rise up, Babylon fall. Babylon doesn't go on for two generations and then come back to become Babylon again. We'll see Persia and the Mede and Persian Empire go on and then fall. And it doesn't go two generations and then come back. Empires decline, fall, fade away, and then are gone. But not so with the covenant people of God. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. That's one of the first things Daniel's going to pray. God, you are a covenant-keeping God. And when he prays about God doing something that he's never done before, something that's never been heard of in the world, the idea of a nation being restored, we take that for granted. And then not only were they restored, then they were dispersed again and then brought back together again. But that's a sermon for another day. But this is the work of the Lord in a way that can only be attributed to the sovereign power of God. Well, what we need to see this morning is that Daniel believes. Daniel is a man of faith. He reads these things. He's an old man, long time since these things have been passed, but he believes these things. And he's living in the midst of them. And he asks God to move in such a way that he might be glorified and that this prophecy might be fulfilled. And this Jeremiah, who he heard prophesying as a young man, that the prophecy of Jeremiah might come to pass and be fulfilled. And so... I would like to point out before we get into the, this prayer of Daniel that the two great themes of the book of Daniel relate to the sovereignty of God and of prayer. And I want to point out that often people see those two great themes as being in conflict. That if a person believes that God is sovereignly and powerfully in control of the world, then why should we pray? 
Well, you haven't read your Bible much if you, if you think that, because the people that actually offered the greatest, most passionate prayers were those that actually believed God was in control. And they were calling out to God and asking God to act in the way that he said he was going to act and do the things that he says he was going to do and show the mercy that he said he would show to the peoples of the world. And so we have this with Daniel. This person that is passionate about believing in God's sovereignty comes and appeals to God with as much passion as any person possibly can to answer according to what has been said and to do what he has said that he would do. Daniel believes that God is in control. And because he believes that God is in control, he is humble and he confesses his sins. God can and will keep his promises, and he is a man that is full of faith, believing that God hears his prayers. And so verses 3 through 19 is Daniel praying. It's a long recorded prayer. It's very interesting if you have time this afternoon or make time this afternoon to go and read Nehemiah chapter 1, a very similar prayer of of great confession and anguish, asking God to reestablish the people of Israel Daniel is praying for the nation. And the first thing I'd like to point out about Daniel's prayer is the characteristics of this prayer. In verse 3, we see these things. He says, I turned my face towards the Lord. We know that he prayed facing Jerusalem, longing for God's word to be fulfilled, that he might see Jerusalem reinstated and come back to the place that it was. But he is turning to the Lord. It's not just to a place. It's not just ritualistic. He is asking God to do these things. And the the nature of Daniel knowing the scriptures, I am confident that he also would have known Psalm 121, which reads this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He looks up. He looks to heaven. He looks to the Lord God for that which he needs, the hope of his heart. He is not looking to himself, and that's what I want you to see. Our day and age is full of those that will tell you, when you are struggling, when you are in a terrible place, look to yourself. Go to yourself. You can accomplish anything that you need to accomplish. It's all there somewhere. Nothing could be more counter to the message of the Bible. The Bible says that we are in a low place and are struggling in our heart that we ought to look to the Lord and look to his promises and look to his work and there find hope. And this is what Daniel does. Second, we see fasting. It says, I turned my face to the Lord seeking him by prayer. Please for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Fasting is something that Jesus also instructs us in. When he instructs us about how we ought to pray, he includes in the Sermon on the Mount a section on fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is when you intentionally, because of your earnestness in prayer and your desire to see the Lord work, you put aside food, something that is necessary for our sustainment, something that we long for, but something that 
we say, God, in my earnestness to seek you, I'm going to put this aside for a time that I might focus even more in prayer and that you might see the earnestness of the way that I am approaching you and seeking you and that you might hear me. Fasting is something that God asks of us and even expects of us in times of great struggle when we are passionately seeking after the Lord. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. But Daniel is fasting. He is in sackcloth and ashes. This is an Old Testament sign of mourning, similar to wearing black or dark clothes to a funeral as as an outward sign of our mourning and of our sorrow. Daniel is not rejoicing in the state of Israel. He is sorrowful over what has happened, who they were, what their heritage was. I'll never forget this. I visited Germany one time on a trip, and there were some people that were there, and they took us to this memorial, and this memorial was about their country being sad about their heritage. And this person actually said this. He said, you have a proud heritage in America, but we don't have a proud heritage. We're very disappointed in who we were in the past, and we're trying to do better now. That's an interesting, interesting thing coming from the mouth of a, of a German person that wants to see their country do better. And this is, what, this is where Daniel is. He's weeping over the state of the nation. We, have, we were a disaster, a rebellious, wicked people. God, forgive us for who we were. And he is calling out to God for mercy. The vast majority of this passage and of this prayer is mercy. Him going over and over and in different ways and in different words and in different uh, phrases trying to confess the sins of the people. And he says over and over, we, 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 including himself in this confession. But before we get into that, I want to ask you, looking at these aspects of prayer and having read this prayer, have you ever in your entire life prayed like this? I would say that there are a great many of you here that have never actually prayed like this. There's never been a time where you you reach this low point or this place. You may feel your desperation, but you've never prayed like this. We have many examples in the Bible of people coming to a place and praying with aspects like this, of seeking the Lord in in a direct way, fasting, getting in the lowest possible place, mourning even over their situation and pleading for God's mercy and for his action in their life. And I tell you that it's right to get low and to pray like this when times of great struggle enter into your life. I understand this is not our normal pattern of prayer. It's something particular. But you know when your life gets to that place. And it's time to ask and to seek and to pray in a way like Daniel is praying. It's when great life decisions, great crossroads come into your life. If you would go and, and get married without any prayer about it at all, like what a, what, a, what a crazy thing that would be, a life-altering decision that you didn't take before the Lord or a big career change. It just seems right because it's got more money and more vacation time attached to it. I encourage you, any great life-altering decision that is going to change the trajectory of your life should be a, a thing of great prayer that you take and lay before the Lord and ask Him to direct your ways. There's also going to be times of deep heart-rending hardship in your life where someone dies, a child or a spouse or someone that's very close to you or a a crippling physical injury that just changes all the rest of your life. Some financial thing that happens that you know you're never going to be able to recover from and your life is always going to be different because of what happened. 
It's time to go to the Lord in prayer and get down on your face and down on your knees and to fast and to ask the Lord to make known what he is doing here to direct your path, to dwell on his promises, to confess your sins, and then to make your requests made known to God because he hears our prayers. And so the aspects of Daniel's prayer, the first is that he he goes to God about his promises. In verse 4, what does he say? I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He reminds God of his covenants, which is good. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He made covenant with Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation, and your descendants are going to be like the stars, greater than the stars of the heavens. He tells David, there's going to be a kingdom that's never going to end, and I'm going to put on your throne a king that will be and reign forever. And Daniel's reminding God of the promises that he's made and asking God to fulfill those promises And it's right and good for us to look to the scriptures and the promises that God has made to us and ask God to keep those promises. God, fulfill the promises that you have made. But then he enters into confession and he just keeps going and going and going. Ten verses of deep confession. We have sinned, says in verse 5, and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 7. To you belongs righteousness, to us belongs shame. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and refused to obey your voice. This is a powerfully uh, humble message. This is Daniel, and remember, this is what is so important from Daniel chapter 6 to hear. Daniel chapter 6, the people that were looking to undo him couldn't find a single thing to accuse him about. He was a man above reproach. And if we're going to take Daniel and compare him to the rest of the world, Daniel's going to come out as the cream of the crop, the guy that should be praised for what he's doing and how he's acting. But what do we see of Daniel in this chapter? We see Daniel on the ground in sackcloth and ashes confessing his sins and asking God to forgive him for his great wickedness. And so what's going on here? Like, What is the disconnect between these two things? And I would argue that there is no disconnect at all. And this is very similar to Paul who was also a deeply righteous and God-fearing man calling himself the chief of sinners. So what is this? What is happening? Is this false modesty on behalf of these people? And I don't believe that is the case at all. What is happening here is that as a person grows in their love for God and increases in their godliness, they draw closer to the presence of the Lord. And the more we draw close to the Lord, the more aware of our own sinfulness we become. Nearness to God brings us nearer to his perfection and to his holiness, and it begins to shine a light on every sin in our life. And the closer we get, the more we see, I am a terrible sinner. Things that I didn't see before, I see now. All kinds of things that I didn't see before, I see now. And the the wicked world that hates God may not see those things, but I see those things, and God forgive me for who I am. It's very similar to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's vision of the the enthroned holiness of God. And as he looks and he hears these angels going back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
what is Isaiah's response to these things? It's not to put forward a resume of his righteousness. What he says is, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The exact same response of Daniel. I'm, I'm a sinner in the midst of a people that are also sinners. And Daniel is like Isaiah in that he has seen so many things of the Lord. He's seen also a vision into the throne room of God. And so Daniel's response is that he recognizes something, that God was not unjust or evil for judging Israel and sending them into exile. And that's important. God is not unjust for what he did to Israel. His judgment of the people was just. And Daniel though better by degrees from the world, is still himself a rebellious sinner and himself right in being judged by God. He deserved judgment, but what is he asking for? He is asking for mercy. It says he prays and pleads for mercy, which is verse 3. God's judgment and God's mercy. This is something that if, there are, if you're struggling with Christianity, these are two concepts that you must grasp. And I encourage you, if you've never read it, I think it's one of the most important chapters possibly written in the past hundred years of theological writing, is the chapter called Holy Justice in R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. I'm going to read you one paragraph from this, and it, you may have to go back and listen to the podcast a couple more times to grasp this. I can only go around it. I'm just going to go by it once this morning but I want you to think about it because you have to grasp it. This is what Daniel is talking about and what he's praying about. Uh, R.C. writes this, No innocent people are punished. God's justice is never divorced from his righteousness. He never condemns the innocent. He never clears the guilty. He never pushes, he never punishes with undue severity. He never fails to reward righteousness. His justice is perfect justice. God does not always act with justice. Sometimes he acts with mercy. Mercy is not justice, but it is also not injustice. Injustice violates righteousness. Mercy manifests kindness and grace and does no violence to righteousness. We may see non-justice in God, which is mercy, but we never see injustice in God. That's a powerful statement. God is always just, and he always meets out justice according to the wickedness of people. And God never acts unjustly. He never pardons someone that is guilty. But God does sometimes act in a way that is not justice, but it's not injustice, it's mercy. And that mercy is made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ and the penalty paid to meet the perfect justice of God that you and I might receive the mercy of God. And this is a tremendously important concept. And so Daniel is not praying and saying, we really weren't that bad. Would you please just overlook this so that we could go back to this promised homeland? He's saying, no, we were that bad, and I am that bad. We are all sinners, but will you have mercy on us? 
Will you forgive us because of your unfailing love and kindness? And we're going to see that God answers that prayer for mercy. And we see all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament that God always answers the prayer of mercy for those that call out for it. Those that ask for forgiveness will receive the forgiveness of God. So God could not and did not overlook the sin and evil of rebellious Israel. He judged Israel. But God is merciful and kind and hears our prayers. And so in verses 16, in verse 16, Daniel says, Let your anger and your wrath turn away. In verse 17, listen to our pleas of mercy. Verse 18, open your eyes and see our desolation. Verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. And so my question for you is, did the Lord answer this old man's prayer? And it's just awesome to see how God, and we're going to talk about it next week, God sends Gabriel to bring an answer, to answer a part of what uh, Daniel prays, and we're going to talk about that next week. But most emphatically, yes, God did answer his prayer. But what I want to look at this morning as a part of God's answer to his prayer is in Ezra chapter 1. If you're not familiar with Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra is the, the priest that God sends back with the people to reinstate the temple worship when they rebuild the temple. But the first chapter of Ezra connects directly to our chapter here this morning with Daniel. What does Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 say? It says this, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, if I am correct in saying that Darius the Mede is the same person as Cyrus, the king of Persia, which this is part of why I believe that that is the case, we're talking about the same year, people, the same year, that the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given to me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may uh, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Do you see what's happening here? The same year that Daniel gets down on his face and prays and asks God to do something, to change the situation. In response to his prayer, the Lord changes the heart of a king. It makes no sense at all that Daniel would pray this prayer after Cyrus has made this written proclamation to send the people out of their exile and back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But in response to this prayer, in response to the working of God to keep his word and to uphold his covenant and show mercy to the people of Israel, the Lord God changes the heart of a king. Something that Daniel himself could never do, something that was not on the expected horizon, but was as far as politics or power go. But what had been prophesied comes to pass, and what Daniel prays for is in fact answered. And the bonds of the people of Israel begin to loosen. And there is a progression as they move back toward Israel to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and renew the nation. So I would close with this. Do you believe in the justice of God? You should believe in the justice of God. 
Do you believe in the mercy of Jesus? You must. If you don't believe in the mercy of Christ and cast yourself upon that mercy, you will die in your sins. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? I do. I believe that God keeps his promises. And it's important that you and I look with faith to the promises made to us in the New Testament and that we believe those promises in the same way that Daniel believed the promises of God in the Old Testament. May the Lord strengthen our faith this morning through the example of Daniel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the record of your word. It is a joy to study it, to read it, to seek, to know what you have done in the past. And I pray that what you have done in the past would be great, it would be greatly encouraging to this church, to every person that is here, that we would see the word of God as history for what it is and not mythology. And that we would be encouraged by what has been done by faithful people in the past, the way that they prayed, the way that they suffered, the way that they struggled over time, and the way that they did not lose heart in your work, the way that you restored your people Israel, the way that you raised them back up and kept your word and showed mercy and kindness. And may it be to us a great hope that you will in fact come again, and all the things that you have promised will come to pass. Though we struggle now and, and go back out into the world tomorrow and into the teeth of all that is before us, may our hearts be fixed upon heaven. May we look to you. May we look up to, to the hills where our help comes from, which is a figure of speech of heaven. We, we literally look up to the Lord God. Lord, fill our hearts with hope. Strengthen our faith. And I pray for every person here today that does not believe in Christ Jesus, that today would be the day that they confess their sins, that they stop justifying themselves when they know they have no reason to justify themselves, that they would cast the weight of their guilt and sin upon the cross of Jesus and be forgiven of those sins and have new life in Christ. May it be today, Lord God, in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.